I, here's the thing. I had my answer for your intro question last night, and then I forgot yeah. it. So now I'm trying to remember what it was again. Okay. <laughs> do you want to wait for it, or do, do you think it'll come no, to you? No, I'm just going to wing it. Okay, great. Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, talk and talk. Want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling. Whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be discussing Gina Prince-Bythewood's new film, The Old Guard. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And when we do, let's answer the question, if you were immortal, what line of work would you commit yourself to? I'm Luke Strider, designer in Chicago. And if I were immortal, I would commit myself to some kind of bureaucracy. Mostly because it's very easy to, um, I feel like, cheat the system and and not end up doing a lot of work and also probably uh, get myself some money and set up. Because you don't want to do anything that could make you famous. Right. Because you can't be famous as an immortal. Of course. You got to, like, just slide under. So I feel like bureaucracy is the perfect place to just disappear. Right, right. Nice nice pick. Um, I'm Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee. And I think I would commit myself to becoming a translator. I would learn every language there could ever be, just like do a lot of study, and then spend like five years in a different country. Just every five years, move to a different country, use my translating skills for the greater good. I don't know what that would be, but, you know, I'd figure it out. Got it. So you want to help people, whereas I would just be slowly destroying whatever economy I was <laughs> exactly <of. laughs> right, right yeah two sides of the same got point. it got it got it yeah yeah um <laughs> and this is a really exciting week lucas because as you know we have a guest joining us this week nick Woo-woo. why don't you introduce yourself hi i'm nick i'm in new york um i thank you for having me this is very exciting um, I want to answer the question, if I were immortal, what kind of work would I commit to? Uh, maybe it's the COVID of it all, but I would want to work at like a scotch distillery. Um, I think it'd be really cool because <laughs> immortality I really is... thought you were about to say doctor. I really just thought like you were about okay. to say... <laughs> let, me, let me also say this is a very selfish, uh, <laughs> indulgent answer. Yeah. I'm going scotch Good. distillery because Good. immortality is all about like... I feel like it's a lot of like killing time, but wanting to kill time in a way that like you can appreciate uh, the waiting of it all. And scotch gets better with time. I am not like a huge enthusiast, but I was thinking like I would want to be somewhere where there is fresh air, uh, good hiking and something you can enjoy doing and letting age. So that's where I ended up. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, I think I think your knowledge would suit you well in years to come. I think it'd be fun. (laughs) Um, So... Nick, this is our first time talking to each other, meeting, ever. Yes, um, we talk on, like, thing. Twitter and Letterboxd and all that. Exactly. Nick is just someone that I've known um, through Twitter and Letterboxd and reached out to because I really appreciated your film opinions. And so um, I'm excited to get to know you via podcasting. Yeah, likewise. This is yeah. great. Well, 
before we talk more about immortality, um, I want us to go over what we're all feeling this week. So, Lucas, why don't you get us started? What are you feeling this week? Um, I'm feeling a movie that has um, absolutely everything to do with people contemplating their mortality. Um, so I watched The American this week, um, which is a 2010 um, George Clooney movie. And it surprised me. I, I, it was a movie that I'd heard about but had never gotten around to watching. Um, but it's basically about George Clooney as an assassin slash gunsmith um, hiding out in Italy. And except you really take away most of the assassinating part. <laughs> and it's really just about him contemplating his life and life choices um, and eating a lot of, of, of food and uh, reading books about butterflies and just hanging out in Italy. It is an absolute gorgeous movie. Um, obviously, there's a little bit of assassinating and a little bit of gunsmithing going on in there. Um, but it's really about just him figuring out kind of where his life has come to and having like deep conversations with a priest and like just a, a lot of the kind of slow stuff that you would that you um get from an italian movie um just kind of stuffed in with uh with some some fun action stuff so this is directed by um anton cord Cor- corbin um he's a what is he he's a dutch act he's a, D- a dutch director he directed um a most violent what is it a most a most wanted man mm. um but so uh, so he does a lot of like slower like spycraft movies um and this is this is just a really beautiful one. It looks absolutely fantastic, um, and was is very different than most of the other George Clooney movies you see. That sounds like my kind of movie. I'm surprised I've never given it a thought. Um, yeah, especially I'm looking right now. I'm especially looking for movies that feel good to watch outside. That like bring me that sense of summer and something about just George Clooney in Italy. I feel like really fits yeah. that vibe. <laughs> Definitely. It's been yeah. recommended to me a million times. So I this is definitely uh my trigger to go uh go watch it. Oh, same. Yeah. It's great. It's light on plot, but it's um it's definitely great on Italy. <laughs> I'm that's that's a great bumper sticker for like a movie taste. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that is a great pick. Um Nick, what are you feeling this week? Okay, so I am very late to the party, but it kind of feels like there was never a party at all for Halt and Catch Fire, which had Four seasons on AMC, um, which I feel like um, it's been well documented that they never knew they were going to get a next season. Um, So four felt very generous. Um, I really liked it. I I never really did Mad Men. um, So it it feels like the uh, follow up to Mad Men, but instead of advertising, it's tech. And it kind of takes you from the early 80s to the mid 90s. But it's not like Breaking Bad was a show that was very much about like, well, in this season, this happens. And in this season, this is like the Gus season. Halt and Catch Fire is very much just about where the characters are at. And um, I just love watching a show that slowly really just takes you through what the characters are going through every single week. And it jumps in time, but it does so very seamlessly. Um, it's a really hard show to pitch, um, but that is how I've been really enjoying my last few weeks is just spending time with these characters. I've never watched a show like that where the investment is all about the emotion you put into the characters. I watched the first season of this. Um, it is fantastic. The cast is phenomenal. Unreal. Um, it's set in like the, at least the first season, like the 80s um, San Francisco, like tech um 
revolution boom stuff that's got kind of going on there. Um, and I was living in, you know, in, in the Bay area at the time and just watching kind of all of this, I was, I was like, Oh, this is why we're the way we are now. Like everything that's wrong with America right now started around here. Um, but it's, it's really a great show. I, it's, it's one of those shows with so many famous actors in it that you're like, I cannot believe they got all of these people in here. But a lot of them, it was like Mackenzie Davis is someone who, um, I think got famous from this show, but is absolutely fantastic. A lovely pace. I love Scott, uh, Scoot McNary. Um, and I a hundred percent agree with you. This show should be getting more, um, accolades than it has, but I think it, it famously only got nominated for like a, a title design. <laughs> That's yeah. the only like Emmy nomination. It has like no actual show credits. At and all. the <laughs> acting's great. And like, I had seen Mackenzie Davis first in San Junipero, that, that black mirror, episode yeah. which she's yeah. great in and she obviously does well in the 80s um yeah <laughs> uh halt and catch fire just for me it kept getting better and i think it's just spending more time with the characters and yeah the cast is part of it i had never seen lee pace outside of being um all in makeup in guardians of the galaxy guardians of the galaxy and he's See, great here of course yeah, i'm like really a lee, lee pace fan um from oh what's the pie maker show uh good. pushing pushing daisies. daisies yes of course um you know, Hall and Catch Fire is one of those shows that when it, I remember when it first came out and I remember being like, this looks amazing. Of course, I'm going to watch it, watching the first like three episodes and then never keeping up with it. And ever since then, having people constantly tell me like, oh, it's one, it's really great. You have to really give Hall and Catch Fire another shot. And it is wild that I haven't given it a chance since I do adore Mackenzie Davis so much. Um, so yeah, maybe this is my push to finally like, during isolation, you know, sit down and, and hunker down and watch Hall and Catch Fire. I've heard that the second season is where things like really pick up. And so I think I would agree um, with that. A- I think it's worth I mean, I it's a hard show to push on people and a hard show to pitch people. But I mean, we've got the time, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and there's also something I think very satisfying about a show that is like, you know, how many seasons it's the whole thing is and it's not like an mm-hmm. astronaut it's not like 10 seasons and you're like cool how am i ever gonna get through that or get it started <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah um well thanks for that pick uh this week for me i'm feeling a three-part documentary on hbo max that just came out this past week called expecting amy it is um from amy schumer and it's a documentary that's um she's She's been filming her pregnancy and the creation of her latest stand-up special. So I was a big fan of her latest stand-up special. It's called Growing, and it's on Netflix. And I also just really love learning about stand-up comedians and how they craft their, their bits and their specials. And, you know, last episode we talked about my the podcast that I love called Good One, which specifically does that where they dive into to how comedians craft jokes. And so this documentary, because I like this special so much, I was really looking forward to seeing her, her go, go behind the scenes and seeing her craft the special, tour the special, as well as document a really difficult pregnancy that she had to go to that inspired a lot of the material in the special as well. Um, and what I wasn't prepared for was just how incredibly moving I would find this documentary to be. It's, 
you know, it's a series technically because it is in three parts, but to me it really does feel like one long film. Um, and I've been watching a lot of movies the past week. Like I finally started getting in the mood for movies again and expecting Amy is, is not technically a movie, but it's my favorite film experience I've seen in a while. Um, I've never seen a comedian be quite this vulnerable. Um, I've never seen a documented experience of a pregnant woman be this vulnerable. Um, and I have a lot of complicated feelings about pregnancy, as a lot of women I know do. Um, I personally never want to be pregnant. I find the physical experience like very frightening. And one thing I really appreciate about this documentary is that she is being very honest and showing women and the world like the pregnancy can be very difficult and dangerous. I think there's this very fucked up view in modern society that like pregnancy is like a glorious thing that like women should want to be pregnant, that it's perfectly safe to be pregnant, um, that every woman needs to be pregnant. And I really appreciate her presenting an alternative view that even though she wanted this pregnancy desperately and is grateful for it, that it is still really, really hard. And, um, I'm an Amy Schumer fan, so, like, I like her point of view uh, on topics like pregnancy and parenthood and marriage, which this documentary also covers her new marriage with her husband, and it was surprisingly romantic. I I was really charmed by, like, their relationship and seeing their relationship develop as they're about to become new parents. Um, are either of y'all Amy Schumer fans, or did you see her latest special? I am not an Amy Schumer fan. Um, I <laughs> I think I knew that, um, which is probably unsurprising for someone like me. Yeah. Um, I yeah, not a big fan of Amy Schumer, but I did see the trailer for um, this. Is it a docu docu series? I don't know what you yeah, call it. Yeah, I'm calling a it a three a three part documentary. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but it looked interesting. I her husband has Asperger's, right? Yeah, I think that like um, they would also just say mild. say like he's on the spectrum. Um, but yeah. yes, and that is part of the documentary is she talks about it in her special, like them receiving that diagnosis and, and what that looks like in their relationship. But in the special, in the documentary, I mean, um, they full, they, like he gets diagnosed like while she's pregnant and during, and it, and he, and it is all documented and a large chunk of the documentary is focused on him and how he grew up and his relationship with his parents and what it was like going through the world without that diagnosis in a way that I found really fascinating. Yeah. I, I hadn't heard so that from the trailer. That was the part that was more exciting to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, was kind of hearing about her relationship with him with that. So, yeah, I think that I, I'm not like completely anti Amy Schumer. I've just never really like, I, I watched one of her specials a while ago and then saw Trainwreck, And I remember not liking Trainwreck, but it not being her fault. Um, I think I just didn't like that yeah. <laughs> the ending, like, Judd Apatow completely reverse schumered her. Um, it yeah. felt sort of like betraying her personality. But 
I don't think that's, that's a Judd Apatow <laughs> exactly. trait. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this sounds this sounds like a great way to get me into Amy Schumer. This sounds actually like really kind of touching. It I found it to be incredibly touching. And I would also say that while I've always like kind of liked her, I've never I would never say I was, you know, a dedicated fan where I would definitely watch anything or any special she put out. This she and the documentary, both she and her sister, who is her producing partner, they both say, like, this latest special is, she thinks, her best work she's ever done. And I would agree that I I remember watching her latest stand-up special and being really impressed with it and recommending it to friends. And um, so I would start, I would recommend people start by watching her special because I think the documentary is even more interesting if you already have the context of the special. Um and and the documentary, I, like you said, it's it's very moving. It's very touching. Um, it really one my favorite part in it is she's having and for anyone who doesn't know, she like I said, she had an incredibly difficult pregnancy. She had a condition called hyperemesis, which means she had extreme vomiting throughout the entire pregnancy, which isn't normal. Um, and. At one point, she's touring while going through all of these health struggles. And someone asks her, like, do you resent having to do stand-up right now? Do you resent the tour? And she says no. And then that same person goes, well, do you kind of resent being pregnant? And she says, no, I don't resent being pregnant. But I resent everyone who wasn't honest about how hard this is and how fucked up it is for women. Like... And that is something that I really loved hearing her say. And it's important that people know. Um, and especially in the context of this documentary, I think it's beautiful and moving to see, like, her relationship and all the trials that, like, they're going through just to be parents. But at the same time, you also have the context. And she kind of mentions this, although I think she probably could have talked about it more, that, like, she has every resource available to her that she could ever want or need. You know what I mean? Like, even though she's struggling, she's doing it in, like, this really beautiful New York apartment. And she has, like, a country home that she can escape to. And when she, um, after she gives birth, she, like, stays in the hospital suite that Beyonce used. That's, like, $2,000 a night, you know? And so it's, like, she has every health resource, every, you know financial resource she could need and it's still this hard so imagine what pregnancy is like for women all across our country that don't have those resources um and yeah i i I appreciate her pointing that out i really respect that yeah um so yeah that's expecting amy it's on hbo max i don't know if i mentioned that um it's on hbo max and which is funny considering her Special is on Netflix, so you got to be a two-platform system yeah. <laughs> in order to get the full experience. Um, nice. So before we talk about the old guard, it's time to go in or out on a few movie trailers. This is our section where we talk about movie trailers we've seen recently, and we quickly say whether we are in or out on them. Yeah, we haven't done this in a while because we haven't had trailers. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, this is like we're getting that we're dusting off our you know bookshelves and getting back on the horse. Yep, that's the metaphor. <laughs> that's definitely it. <laughs> dusting off the bookshelves yep, yep, and yep. getting back on the horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's just get started. Let's just get on to it. What is it? You're either in or you're out right now. 
Dies Tomorrow is a trailer that recently came out. It is directed by Amy Smites. I don't know how to pronounce that last name. But she's an actress that I um, remember seeing in a movie called Upstream Color that I really loved. And I believe that this is her directorial debut. And um, it's, it's kind of branding itself as a psychological absurdist horror comedy. And it's about a woman who thinks she's dying tomorrow. And that thought seems to be contagious around the people she talks to. Um, what did y'all think of this trailer? I mean, it's definitely not my genre. <laughs> no. <laughs> Are you not a horror fan as well? I'm not like, I will sort of do the um, genre subversion thing. Like the cabin in the woods is really fun. That's like comedy. It's horror, but it's kind of mm-hmm. self-aware about horror. Um, this one seems much more like psychological thriller. If it's, if the like uh, reviews or whatever say that it falls more in line with like, you know, fun comedy than it does jump scares. I'm super on board, but it is not my genre. I did think it was really cool to see Michelle Rodriguez do something that isn't like straight yeah. action. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 in the same boat. I I saw it. I was like, this looks like a beautiful movie. Um, I it looks interesting. It looks like it is not for me. <laughs> I was really excited to see a few faces like Chris Messina and Michelle Rodriguez and uh, Josh Lucas. Josh right? Lucas. Right? Everybody's a big fan Absolutely. of him. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Katie Asselton. Um, and so this is the kind of movie that like maybe in normal times I would be like, oh, that looks a little too scary for me to check out. But now that I feel like I'm deprived of new releases, I'm like, give me anything you got. Um, <laughs> it doesn't look too scary. You know, like it doesn't seem like the like a straight up horror film with, you know, lots of murder or jump scares. Um, mm-hmm. One thing. So I'm kind of in on this movie. And one thing that I think really got me in on it is that it's coming out very soon which is not usually the case when we do in or out. Usually we're talking about movies that won't be out for months. Um, This movie is opening in drive-in theaters on July 31st, and then it's going to be available on demand on August 7th. So I appreciate that they're like prioritizing drive-in theaters as an option right now. Um, It's released by Neon, who typically releases some pretty cool stuff. And that also I think is what is getting me excited. How close is your closest drive-in theater? I have two different ones, and they're each about an hour away. Yeah, yeah. is that the it's same as Chicago? Same yeah, it's there's one theater, and it's like north suburbs, like yeah, about an hour away. Yeah, so yeah, we're in Brooklyn. I I have no idea how close the uh, nearest one is, but I can't imagine it's close. Otherwise, I would totally make the trip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've created my own little outdoor movie theater at my house here in Nashville, and so that's been that's been my um, avenue for like release for seeing movies with people is. People distance in my yard. I have a little screen that's like a giant shower curtain. And we watch, you know, whatever movie we can each week. Um, But a drive-in is something that, like, I went to so much as a kid that now I really, I really want to revisit it. I just haven't found the right showing to go to. So maybe this will be it. This might be it. Um, Okay, so our next movie that we want to talk about is An American Pickle. It's a Seth Rogen movie starring Seth. It stars Seth Rogen playing two characters um, and uh, a struggling immigrant named Herschel Greenbaum who falls into a vat of pickles in 1920 in Brooklyn. 
and then wakes up a um, hundred years later, kind of Captain America esque, and um, Seth Rogen yeah. plays his great grandson <laughs> as well as the as well as the immigrant. Um, what did y'all think of this trailer? So this is. Uh... It looks fine. It looks fine. <laughs> it, it looks like a typical Seth Rogen movie. Um, I I wasn't too you know amazed by it. Um, I think this is directed by um, Brandon Trost, who also did the Disaster Artist. Um, uh, he didn't direct it. I think he's he was a, a cinematographer. Yeah, DP. For the, yeah, for the Disaster Artist. Yeah, um, but he's he's involved in I think a lot of um, Seth Rogen stuff. I don't know. I I thought it looked fine. I did. I wasn't super engaged. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's like um, you know, Winkle Voss Rogan. Um, I will <laughs> say, like, even though I don't completely buy into it, I like that when they, because even if it's a lot of the same people that produce certain um, things, they they highlight Fifty Fifty and the Disaster Artist in the trailer, and I think that because those True, yeah. two things are so, even though they're like comedies, they have a huge amount of sincerity. Like, even the disaster artist is very sincere. Um, so I think that this has the potential to at least be, you know, not completely shallow. But I have I have no idea. I think that's also what really charmed me about this trailer, is the idea that, um, yeah, this movie has, like, a lot of heart, it seems like. Um, also, I do, I really am interested in directorial debuts. And I really like seeing, like, okay, here's a person whose movie... I've never seen I've never seen any of their movies before. Let's like give it a shot. Um it's also written by Simon Rich, who's a writer that I find pretty charming um and absurd in like really fun ways. So that gives me a lot of hope as well. Um plus I'm also mostly just a huge Seth Rogen fan. I really will probably watch most things that Seth Rogen puts out, especially if he seems to be doing something like you said, Nick, that's like pretty sincere. Um and it doesn't hurt that this also has like a supporting role with Sarah Snook from Succession, and I haven't seen her in anything mm. but Succession, so I'm excited to see mm. her again. Yeah, I I think Seth Rogen works best when he's working with other people, <laughs> mm. like um, him him in other people's movies or partnered with some, with a really good actor. I think he works really well. I am not looking forward to him um, just talking to himself most of the movie. <laughs> totally reasonable. See, I, I can't get enough no. of him, so that's where that's where we where we <laughs> differ. Um, this movie is another movie that's coming out very soon. It comes out on August sixth on HBO Max, um, so we don't have long to find out whether it's good or not. All right, well, are you all ready to finally dive into the old guard? Let's do it. Let's do it. Old Guard is the newest film from Gina Prince Bythewood. Um, let's before we talk about how what we thought of the movie, Lucas. I know you and I have talked, I believe, on the podcast about how excited did, did we do an in or out on the Old Guard? I'm trying to remember, I think we did. If we did, if we, we did. if we didn't, years ago, <laughs> exactly. it's been so long. <laughs> Probably March. Just in case we didn't, <laughs> both Lucas and I have been very excited for this movie. I remember the day the trailer came out, both of us texting it to each other and being like, "Oh, sign us up! Like we can't wait." Um, yes. But Nick, I want to know 
How were you like anticipating this movie at all? Um, what were your expectations coming into it? So like I, um, with the exception of the two that I watched going into this show, I really don't watch trailers. I think that I can't remember what mm. movie it was, but like, I think 10 years ago, um, I decided like I, for movies, I know I'm going to watch. I don't want to see trailers because I want to go in as blindly as possible so I went in with no expectations. I think Netflix showed me Charlize Theron's face, and that's all I knew going into it. That's interesting. Nice. Did you know like who directed it or nope. that it was based on a graphic novel? I think I knew that it was based on the graphic novel because, um, I mean, I didn't really know much going into the movie, but I work at a talent agency, so I think I had seen sides from this. And gotcha. just like little um, segments of scenes uh, to read with actors, and I think that... It just conversationally, this was a graphic novel thing. But beyond that, I, I knew nothing. Um, great. Well, like I said, it's based on a graphic novel series. And the basic premise listed on IMDb is a covert team of immortal mercenaries are suddenly exposed and must fight to keep their identity a secret, just as an unexpected new member is discovered. Um, and like you said, it stars Charlize Theron um, kicking ass as she normally does. <laughs> Um, Lucas, why don't you start us off and tell us about what you thought of the old guard? I had a lot of fun with this movie. I, it, I, I'm to the point now to where I can't tell if I'm having more fun because it's something that's new and exciting that <laughs> I can watch at home right. or if it's actually good. So I can't actually judge the quality of this movie, I feel like, right now. But I had so much fun with it. Um, obviously, Charlize Theron is great. Um, I loved Kiki Lane in this movie. Um, a, a good uh, mercenary team, like a family, is my th kind of thing, obviously, big Fast and Furious guy. Um, and so this kind of fits into that, where they have some good scenes of them just, like, hanging out and talking to each other. <laughs> and that's what I love the most, because yeah. you get to build those relationships. Um, and so I'm glad it had that. I think some of the action um, itself was uh, hit or miss. There were some mm. good, really good action parts and some that felt... Um, a little too staged, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, but overall, like getting to see these actors kind of work together was a ton of fun. And I am very excited. I, I, I want this to continue. I want there to be like eight more sequels. Of this. <laughs> right. Nick, what did you think? Um, I, okay. As far as like the combat stuff goes, I actually thought a lot of it was really cool. Um, with, uh, I mean, it came out earlier this year, but Extraction, I remember being like, it's not great, but the combat is really cool. Um, this sort of had like a uh, similar, uh, like some of the stuff that Charlize Theron does in it is really impressive um, in -hmm. terms of like her doing her own stunts. I don't know if she does every single one, but some of the ones where like it's a same shot, she'll like, you know, take a guy down and then like somersault or something like that. Um, I she's great. I have decided I will watch anything that she's in. I saw the last or the long shot uh, last week, and I really liked it. She can do comedy. She can do action. I mean, obviously, like Mad Max, uh, everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, she should do all of the things." Um, well, I mean, Atomic Blonde. Like, I couldn't tell yeah. you what that movie was about today, but I know I would watch it again <laughs> because she's so great in it. Yeah, she she can yeah. do everything, and she can do every emotion. Like in this movie, um, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to jump too far forward, but it's just like we meet her, and she's very uh, cold, I guess, or like very like tired. Um, 
Yeah, and she just does that so well while also putting so much energy into when she needs to be present. Yeah, I agree. I'm Charlize was like the main appeal for me of seeing this movie. Um I was a big Atomic Blonde fan even though like I don't know that the movie works as a story. It, it I don't care because the vibe is so great and she's so compelling to watch and such a great action star. Um and this movie I was really excited about because it looked like the best of both worlds. You know, Charlize getting to do her thing and then also this really compelling premise, right? Um, and I think my expectations were really high for this movie. And ultimately, I came out of it wanting to really, really love it and only really liking it. Um, and so that's what's kind of holding me back is I, I, I'm critical of it because it showed so much promise, you know? Um, I, all the action in this movie really worked for me. I was, whenever it was an action sequence where either Charlize or her team was just like being excellent at what they do, that, I can't get Mm -hmm. enough of watching those, those scenes. Um, I think this movie has some plot issues and it definitely has a, a villain problem oh, yeah. in a way that is so <laughs> frustrating. Um, but the the main characters and all the performances of those characters, I was so invested in. And like you said, Lucas, like I want more of this. This is, you know, I'm really more of a movie person than I am a TV person. And this is one of the few times where I thought, man, I really wish I could have seen this as like a, like a series. Like, this is an HBO series I think would have been so much more compelling than to try to cram it into a movie. That's um, a great call. Yeah. There was just so much potential story that wasn't mined in this film. Um, and we can talk more about like what that might have been in spoilers. But I went to bed having a hard time going to sleep because I couldn't, I kept thinking about all the things that I wanted to see from these characters that I didn't get to see. So that's a good sign that like this movie is interesting and compelling enough that I couldn't stop thinking about it, but it's, it was also frustrating to watch and at certain points. Um, so yeah, I have mixed feelings, but like definitely not, I wouldn't say that this movie is bad because if it was bad, I wouldn't care about it this much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, so I know that I'm anxious to get to plot details and spoilers, and so I might be rushing through this. Is there anything else that y'all want to discuss before we move on to that section? I mean, I'll say I really liked the uh, the cast of characters. Like, it felt yeah. like, um, uh, Lucas, you said, like, uh, the family of it all. I thought that that was really well established, and I just, I, I thought, even though they're not big names, I think it was fine because the the casting for those specific characters was spot on. Yeah, super agree. I mean, Kiki Lane really stood out to me. Like, to have someone who is doesn't have the star power of Charlize really hold her own as, like, the opposite of Charlize is uh, impressive. And every moment she was on screen, I, like, couldn't take my eyes off her. Um, so I was really excited to see her in this. And then there were, so, like, yeah, several new actors, or new to me, I should say, that, um, of course, I immediately look up as soon as the movie's done. Like, I, oh, okay, what, <laughs> what else can I take in from them? Um, I saw someone yeah. tweet of, a tweet of saying, 
people being like, oh, everyone's on the IMDb pages of, like, these three guys, you know, right now. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. I, like I said, a lot of my issues with the film are plot and writing specific, um, which I don't know if that was an adaptation problem or not, you know? Like, I, this, this movie also actually made me really want to go read the graphic novel. I'm not really a graphic novel person, but it makes me want to dive deeper being like, does the graphic novel have all the backstory that I'm trying, that I'm wishing this movie had? Um, or like, does the plot feel more fluid in the, in the graphic novel? Um, so that said, like, I think there's some, some writing issues, but I did really love what Gina Prince, by the way, did with this movie. I love her use of music. I really like, um, the way that she films, like, people's faces really, I think, was important in this film. Um, so a lot to like, but also some stuff for me to be frustrated by. See, now, you mentioned the music. I feel like, so this movie is mostly different needle drops yeah. from, from different songs and not a lot of original score. And I think it might have helped a lot of sequences to have a little bit more score in there um, in addition to, I, th- I, think the, I think the needle drops are tons of fun. I love the songs that they chose for this. Um, but I think having more of a score would have made it feel more, um, co- a little bit more cohesive. Yeah, I think you're right. Because another thing that is was frustrating with this movie was I could really feel its budget, you know? Like, I felt like yes. this is a director doing the best they can with the budget they have, right? But, like, there are moments where, like, mm-hmm. oh, I can, I'm really feeling that this doesn't have the same, the budget of a movie that this, of this scale should probably have. Um, and I feel yeah. like score is where, one of those ways where, like, I wouldn't have, noticed that until you said it and now that you've said it i'm like oh that's exactly one of the things that was probably missing yeah um all right well are y'all ready to talk spoilers absolutely let's do it okay before we get started does anyone want to get out are you paying attention it's your last chance to walk away let me tell you what's gonna happen no cracking gas spoilers remember you wanted this so let's talk about the villain of it all because i think that was where i had a lot of my biggest frustration yeah (laughs) right so there's technically like two sort of villains right in this movie um Mm -hmm. she would tell you jafar is playing copley and then harry melling is playing the character of merrick first of all it wasn't until after i was done with the movie that i realized that harry melling played dudley or dursley yeah dudley dudley yeah in the harry potter movies (laughs) oh my god yeah and i was like no wonder i have such a visceral dislike no kidding i had i had not put that together that's incredible and so like that (laughs) character was really frustrating for me because it was there was nothing i was never afraid of him you know what i mean like even though he like is saying all these horrible things he's gonna do to our main characters i'm like i'm not actually you're not actually that scary i just want to like punch you you know you have you just seem obnoxious and I and really hate worthy, um, but not actually frightening. Um, I also and this might be unfair, but I've also recently watched Mission Impossible Three, where Philip Seymour Hoffman is like such a perfect villain. Yeah. So I know I'm comparing <laughs> him to Philip Seymour Hoffman, which isn't <laughs> fair. Wow. <laughs> totally not fair. But it it is one of those things where it's like the in these movies, villains are really important to make the movie feel real you know and 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 not goofy so much of the villain of this movie felt 
is what made this movie feel very goofy to me. Um, and then also the character of Copley was just so incredibly frustrating to watch because <laughs> this person seems pretty smart and then, you know, seemed so shocked that his partner was so evil or like had only profit in mind, you know? And, yeah. you know, my friend and I watched this together and we said, this is the kind of thing where like the, the main villain needs to like have tricked this other character in some way. He can't have just seemed like a douchebag right. from the start. And then Copley's like, Oh no, what have I done? You know, and he had to like have pulled some sort of con. He had to seem genuine and then turn villainous. You can't just like seem like a douchebag and then be surprised when he does douchebag things. There was a, there was one line after they um, capture them where he's like, right, we're doing this for the science. Right. And he's like, no money. Yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of like, yeah, did you not know that? Like, like the very first, it's very obvious that this guy's only after the money. The very first time we saw him, he just talked about money. Like, there's, there was yeah. never any buildup to like. That's that's why I think like yeah. you could have made this so much more interesting if he was interested in helping humanity. Like right. he could still be the bad guy and also be interested in saving the world because that would have made like. I, I feel like when they're when they make the decision to go to leave and like go fight him, it's they're basically saying like we we are not going to give this to humanity. We're not going to help everybody. And if that was an actual question in the movie, I think it would have made that choice a very interesting of um, can we help hu save humanity in this way or not? But it didn't seem like they were interested in that, yeah. in that at all. <laughs> yeah, there could have been. I mean, similarly to like Black Panther, where you have a villain who it's like, uh, yeah, like. His, like, what he wants to do with this power, I kind of get, right? Like, he's he's making sense, mm -hmm. even if he's being villainous in the way he's going about it. This movie could have been perfect for that. And instead, you just had, yeah. like, a very cartoonish villain. Right. So that was, like, my biggest frustration. Um, another frustration I had was there were just so many moments where I was frustrated that the movie didn't seem very smart, um, like the one that keeps coming to mind is there was, you know, towards the end when all of them have been captured, except for the Nile character, they're all like in the same room, you know, and totally. like tied up in beds. And, and immediately you just thought, well, of course they wouldn't lock them all in the same room. Like they're not. Surely these villains who aren't that dumb, that they would put these super-powered individuals who work as a team in the same room together. And there was a lot of moments like that throughout the movie where, you know, one of them would, like, say something to a villain or a guard and I'd be like, well, why are you revealing all this? Like, you're just giving away your hand. And that happened several times where I just thought someone didn't do a pass over this script to think, are are these characters making smart choices? Yeah, I had the same moment of like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You went to all this trouble to sedate and keep these people from overpowering you to only then put them all in the same, like, what, three feet away from, from each other? I thought <laughs> yeah. that was crazy town. Yeah. I mean, he says very specifically in the movie, they're extremely resistant to capture, right? <laughs> And so it's like, yeah. let's just, like, clip him onto beds and, like, have them share a room. It's just, it was just very silly. Um, there was also the part in the movie that it ended up being fine, but in the moment I was so frustrated because, so there's the moment where 
the two like lovers are captured together and they're in that van and there's that mm-hmm. great, you know, romantic monologue, which as someone who loves romance, I was like very into. And yet at the same time, as someone who likes logic, I was <laughs> like, don't tell <laughs> your prisoner, your prison guards, like, don't reveal this intimate detail about each other. They'll only use it against you. You know what I mean? Like that that they did end up killing all they of did, them and the and, car, though, and so. that kind of that kind of saved the logic but at the moment i was yeah. just like this is a tactical <laughs> error you know like this is someone who's lived this long and has been a mercenary for this long would know better you know um yeah and so there was i just did like a, love that they those two kept it kind of light like when they got yes. captured they like they were when they finally got put on the plane, they were like, oh, this is a nice plane. Hey, Joe, it's got a TV. <laughs> yeah. Like, all, like, <laughs> well, like just kind of fun stuff like that is much more fun. I, I I don't know. It feels better for these, like, characters who aren't afraid to die yeah. than having it feel super serious. I mean, I will say something I should have probably said before spoilers is that these two were my favorite part of the whole movie. Like, Absolutely. even though I love Charlize, like, their chemistry, their, like, de- the character's dedication to each other – the romance, the charm, the lightheartedness, like every scene mm-hmm. that focused on the two of them was the highlight of the, like just like, oh, this is what I want the whole movie to be. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. That was they were they were absolutely my favorite part. And like the actors had great chemistry. The way the characters were written to like be together felt very natural. I don't know. I, I yeah. really liked them too. They were my favorite part. Well, when we were watching yeah. the movie, my friend Linda, who watched it with me, she every scene that they were together, she said I need the rom-com that comes before this movie of the two of them fighting in the Crusades and falling in love with each other, killing each other over and over, yes. and then falling in love. Like, <laughs> That's the movie I want to be watching right now, not this movie. <laughs> Let's call Netflix and tell them. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> Which, again, made, was one of those things where I, I thought, man, if this was an HBO series, like you would have a whole episode dedicated to the crusade and it would all culminate in this big ending where we see each of their backstories played out and you know, all this come together. Um, but maybe Netflix is working on it. Maybe they're, maybe that's in development in the sequel. You're (laughs) totally selling me on. It should have been a, a a series, a limited series or whatever. Cause it definitely, I mean, you guys said you wanted more. And since we're in the spoiler, uh, section, you might get what you're asking for based on the last scene of the movie. Yeah, yeah. So let's, if we let's get there. Let's talk about like the Booker betrayal yes. of it all, right? That I like. Yeah, that. I, I did like the betrayal. I felt like that that worked for the most part. I mean, pretty. I, I feel like it's it's not obvious uh, or anything, but I do feel like you are. Um, a little more suspicious of him because why would they not take him? Like the the, the whole yeah. point beforehand is that they kept saying like we need them all, we need them all, and they're like no, they just shot him and took the others. And you're like, well, I don't know about right. that, but um, but I, I I do feel like his motivation feels correct that he's like he's like I just want it to be over. Like he's consumed by grief and that he's just trying to figure out a way to <laughs> to yeah. end it. I get his motivation, but at the same time. It was so, after we heard that, like, really terrifying story about what happened to the character of Quinn, right? And how Mm -hmm. all of them are like, that's why our greatest fear is being captured and put in a cage. It seems, like, (laughs) really hard to believe that someone who, like, loves these characters that much, right, 
would sell them out to that existence, right? Like, that should be their great... He knows it's all their greatest fear. And if he did it out of true resentment, I would it would make it more believable, you know, if he really did hate them all. Um, and that was, like, what was hiding under the surface. But that didn't seem to be the case, right? He seemed to, like, still, like, love his team. He just went... He just, like, made a really dumb mistake. I guess it's also just hard for me, yeah, I think- me to believe that people who have lived this long can still be can still make mistakes that dumb. Yeah. I think I think I saw it more as him thinking that they they were going to be able to kill them. Like they were going to be able to reverse it and be able to to put them down. Right. Which I think is what what he wanted as opposed to like being being trapped in a cage forever. Yeah. Um but but I th- I think you're right about like <laughs> that is their greatest fear and he did <laughs> give them that which is awful. Yeah. It feels the, like pretty unforgivable. The the scene where we or like Charlie's char- Charlie's Theron's character's flashback of what happened to her old and and first partner where like the shot of her going yeah. underwater that destroyed me. Like that yeah. is so haunting to me. And then and then they said like we looked for her for a couple hundred years. Like only a couple hundred years. You've been around for so long, and you're like, <laughs> I don't know. I guess that's it. We know she's still alive down there, but what are you gonna do? Yeah, it's like it's 2020. Like you could find her now. Like there's a, there's definitely a chance you could do it. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I was confused during the movie about like because they had that other immortal guy that did eventually die, right? That I think I was just assuming, like, oh, this person who's at the bottom, this Quinn character who's at the bottom of the ocean eventually died, is what I think I assumed about, like, but I don't yeah. think it was clear to me in the film that, like, oh, she's still out there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and, and then towards the end, so, like, when they decide to, like, hand out his punishment to him, right? Um I remember being so torn because it's like, one, of course, I like this unit. So, of course, I want him to be forgiven and, like, brought back into the group. Um, But it's also being like, how could you trust that person again? And then on the third hand, they, they, one of the things he says, like, when he's confronting all of them after they find out that he's betrayed them, he points to, like, Joe and Nikki and he's like, you two have each other. Like, I'm alone in the world, right? And after someone, you know, being someone who is quarantined for three months with a couple, like, I get it. Like, I get it, Booker. Like, You know what yeah, it's like. That is tricky. Um, but, you know, then their punishment for him is that he has to spend 100 years alone. And part of me is like, this is how we got him to go bad in the first place, right? So, like, maybe that's not the best <laughs> yeah. punishment is to, like make him be alone even more. This is how he comes back as another villain in the next well, one. Well, <laughs> and I guess that's what I'm assuming from that, like, after credit scene, right? The Quinn right. shows up to, to specifically Booker, who seems depressed and frustrated right now. It's only been six months, and <laughs> <laughs> and he's, you know, he's he's seemingly not in a good place. And she seems a little pissed, right? So it seems like maybe mm-hmm. they're going to be like villains in the next movie if there is one yeah yeah sorry i jumped the gun in the previous uh part by mentioning the ending but uh i thought that that was a very clever thing i i was kind of hoping she would show up at some point in the third act but that that image of her like slowly going down into the water kept sticking in my head but um assuming that i mean it seems like this movie is doing really well on netflix so it wouldn't surprise me if they 
you know, greenlit a sequel right away. I think that would be a really yeah. cool way to do it. I'm hoping that it does get a sequel and that the sequel gets a bigger budget. Do we know, was this movie produced specifically for Netflix? It's a good question. I would assume so. I don't feel like this seems bad, but I feel like a major studio would never give this to, <laughs> to Gina Prince, by the way. Right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't see anything well, on here about it. Being and also, honestly, with another studio the ever. queer storyline of it all probably also indicates that it was True. developed for Netflix because this doesn't, it doesn't, yeah. I mean, I hate bringing it up over and over again, but like this, they it doesn't happen in major action movies and major blockbuster action films. We don't get queer storylines like this. And that's part of what's so refreshing about this movie is that like, not only, it wasn't just a like, hint at a queer storyline like some of our action films have been you know like oh like mm-hmm. maybe they like wink at each other or they have like a really chaste kiss at the end and you're like oh my god they were boyfriends the whole time you know <laughs> like it was like a true like deep romance that um even though this movie was not a romance like that love was felt throughout the film Absolutely. Um, that was more compelling than a lot of, and I love the MCU movies, but that relationship was so much more compelling than most of the relationships in the MCU movies. So absolutely. like, why not just do that? Guardians of the Galaxy or whatever other <laughs> family ensemble based action yeah. team. Yeah. It was just, and I, like I said, like the premise of this movie is so powerful. Like I couldn't help but think about so many more stories about these characters right especially once it's revealed sort of like in the third act of the movie that the charlie's character andy the like the people she saves go on to save large populations of the earth right and that's something like Mm -hmm. she wasn't even aware of and so like that really like broadens the potential for stories of like okay now we kind of know that these characters, it's not random. There, it, there does seem to be some sort of fate playing into all of this. And, like, what does that mean for, like, future missions, right? Totally. I like, I like uh, at the end, Chiwetel Ejiofor's character, like, could be the sort of Nick Fury for all of them in terms of, yeah. like, here's your next thing now that we've, I mean, you guys all assembled each other. But I think his role in a sequel could be really Cool. Yeah, I'm also very intrigued by what a sequel would look like now knowing that her character is maybe not immortal anymore. I think that definitely makes it fun. I'd be very curious to see what that looks like. Yeah, like it, it adds such a heightened risk that the, the team leader is the one that like needs the most protection here on out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I kind of wondered yeah. if she would die at the end and then sure. um, Niall would be the leader going into the next one. But I'm glad we still get some Charlize. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, especially knowing that like if this Quinn character is coming back, like seeing a face off between the two of them. Can't wait. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I said, I had a lot of high expectations for this film and it fulfilled in ways I didn't expect and then let me down in other ways that, you know, you, you just that that's just how it goes. Um, are, are y'all planning on recommending this film to other people? I will. Um, I think, yeah, you have to. I feel like I have to couch it in the fact that it it's a Netflix movie. So, like, it's not going to be, you know, a big comic you know, superhero movie that you're used to seeing in theaters. Like this is a Netflix movie. Um, but as far as like a fun action movie, I don't know if you guys have seen, I haven't seen um, 
the what is the Chris Hemsworth movie Extraction. Extraction that was on Netflix or like Six Underground, the Michael Bay one. Like, so I haven't seen a lot of the, the Netflix um, kind of action movies this year, um, but I thought this one was was fun and to me going into it looked more interesting than those other ones. Um, yeah, I think if I were to pitch this to a friend, it would be um, like if they I would pitch it as like Charlize Theron centric action movie that uh, has some sort of fantasy elements and it's like an ensemble piece. I, I think that I didn't see the trailer for this, so I don't know if I would be like, oh, it's, you know, better than the trailer or exactly what you'd expect from the trailer. But I would be like, if you like Charlize and you like some cool combat stuff, then definitely check this out. Yeah, I think I would take the same approach that like the action is I think the most compelling thing about this, not the most compelling thing I should say, but like the thing that would get people to watch it is if you like an action movie, this is a great one to turn on. Well, I'm really excited that we got to talk about this movie. Let's tell people where they can find each of us online. Nick, where can people find you online if they want to talk about your hot The Old Guard takes? Um, uh, on Twitter, I am at Nick Asardo. Uh, Asardo is A-S-S-A-R-D-O. Um, on Letterboxd, I'm Nick A, because that wasn't taken. Oh, lucky dog. Uh, very off-brand. Uh, I do an Instagram that is kind of just cocktails, and that is Nick Grony, N-I-C-K-G-R-O-N-I, like the drink of Negroni. Uh, I need to follow that. I've become making, I've been making a lot of cocktails in quarantine. It's my new hobby. So (laughs) I will definitely be checking that out. Lucas, where can we find you? You can find me everywhere at Lucas and stuff. And you can find me on all social platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye, Nick. Goodbye. Go away, Rick. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home? Yeah. Moving along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 